0: Welcome to the Superpowers for Good show. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Mark Gerson is a devout member of the Jewish faith. He hosts the Rabbi's Husband podcast. He is also the chair of the Christian nonprofit African Mission Healthcare, which is saving lives in sub Saharan Africa. He'll also share about his superpower, having a focus on ROI as a philanthropist. Mark, thank you so much for joining me today. It's just a thrill to have you on the show. Thank you. Oh, it's great to be here, Devin. Thank you. Well, the the pleasure is all ours, but let's start off by talking about African Mission Healthcare, this organization that you chair and Mm -hmm. have been a key financier of as a philanthropist. Tell us about it. So in about uh, 2001,
1: my uh, closest friend from college, John Fielder, uh, called me and he said uh, he was just finishing up his residency program at Johns Hopkins, having, of course, graduated medical school. Then Hopkins finished the residency program, called me and he said, "Um, as you know, I'm a Christian. And I said, yes, I know. Okay. he said, well, as a Christian, he said, "Um, I could be doctor number 700,000 in the U.S. Or he said, I feel the call to go serve uh, people who are suffering and dying from AIDS in Africa. So uh, I'm going to go. And uh, so John went in the early uh, 2000s, 2001, 2002, and has been a Christian missionary physician there ever since. And uh, um, one of the many things that uh, I learned from him and everything I know about the healthcare situation in Africa and in fact, everything African Mission Healthcare does derives ultimately from John. But one of the many things that I learned from him is that probably the greatest humanitarian problem in the world is the lack of access to care for almost everybody in Africa. And if you go through the data, you'll see that there's one doctor for every 10 to 50,000 people, typically in Africa, it varies country by country, but it's often one to 10 to 50,000 people, which means practically that if your child falls and breaks her leg, if you or your wife needs a C-section, if you need any kind of cardiac care, any kind of surgery, any kind of infectious disease care, it's very rare to be able to have consistent access to any kind of treatment. And uh, and the same that's true of the um, small number of doctors uh, per uh, population is also um, MAPS, the hospital services. So for instance, um, very few hospitals in Africa have piped oxygen which is just one example of the kinds of things that we totally consider table stakes that's just absent there. So um, I learned from John, this is a massive problem, but it's also an incredible opportunity because the people on the ground who are doing the work to bring care to the African poor are Christian missionary doctors. And they're there, they're there throughout Africa and they're at Christian mission hospitals and they're building them. The problem is that they have no consistent source of support and that support is financial, it's engineering, it's training, it's infrastructure, it's all kinds of things. There used to be a lot more support from the denominations, but for a variety of sociological reasons, the denominations have become poorer and weaker and um, no one picked it up. So in 2010, John and I were having a conversation and we said, well, why don't we pick it up? So we said, let us be the partner for these Christian missionary doctors serving at Christian hospitals in Africa who are literally doing God's work And we'll be their partner for infrastructure, for training, for finances, for clinical care. And in so doing, we will bring massive amounts of care to the African poor, while, importantly, building the systems that will amplify care long into the future. And that's what African Mission Healthcare does. We're now active in 14 countries in three areas, clinical care, infrastructure, and training. Uh, Clinical care is seeing patients. Uh, Infrastructure is the construction of things from oxygen, which we talked about briefly, to uh, power, uh, reliable power to uh, sometimes running water, sometimes because of the investments that we make and the building that we do in conjunction with the Christian doctors, more and more patients will come, but the same road will be there. So we got to expand the road. That's a classic infrastructure. The most, um, one of the most important assets in uh, an African healthcare environment is uh, trainees. Young people who graduate medical school and want to come and, and be trained. And if a hospital should receive such a person, it's just like it's, it's it's a treasure. And then imagine receiving such a person and realizing there's nowhere for them to stay, literally nowhere for them to live, because there's no private housing market and there's no housing on campus. So often it's like the thing that you've been dreaming for, that you've been hoping for, a trained person, two trained two people coming to be trained. Because in, in in healthcare, you don't training is not a one way thing. It's you get trained by doing the thing right? So if someone is assisting with surgery, then they gradually do more and more, and that's the training, but they're actually serving patients while being trained. So it's a win-win, but imagine if there's no place for them to stay. So then we'll come in and build housing. Um, so it's it's clinical care, uh, infrastructure, and then training. And training is a part of both uh, clinical care and also factors sometimes into infrastructure. So those are the three things we do. We're active in um, 14 different countries, and it's very exciting because we're uh um, uh, serving uh, hundreds of thousands of patients, uh, while really building the systems and the structures that are massively improving um, the healthcare for Africans now and long into the future.
0: There, you made a, an interesting leap in in backing this, and it's remarkable, and it's one of the reasons that people talk about you. Right, it's because you are uh, a, a committed. Jewish man who has uh, funded a Christian mission. I'm married to a rabbi. (laughs) That's right. Married to a rabbi. Right. Right. Uh, Which we should use this segue to plug your podcast, right? Uh, Your podcast is called The the Rabbi's Husband, right? That's right. That's me. Yeah. So uh, people could find that, I I imagine, in all the regular podcast places. But it would seem to me logical for you to have some of the same concern that many people, even among those of us who identify ourselves as Christian, still struggle with when we think about doing uh, humanitarian work. Uh, and that is around the fact that the uh, the mission of some uh, Christian operations seems to be split between the humanitarian care and proselyting or proselytizing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wonder how you address that concern or have you? I mean, wh- how did you sure. think about that?
1: Sure, well, I mean first your 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 presumption is totally right in the first the first your first presumption which is we are deeply committed Jews. Traditional deeply committed Jews. We do, I mean my wife is a rabbi, our kids are all, all four, four of our kids uh, are in Jewish day school. We are deeply committed Jews and as deeply committed jews the torah five books of moses tells us 36 times more than anything else that we are to love the stranger so as serious jews we have to say well how can we discharge that biblical obligation to love the stranger and when we ask that question it's answered by christian missionary doctors so these christian missionary doctors help make us better jews now you ask a very interesting question about um proselytizing so um, or really even more broadly, what does it mean to be a missionary? which is, which is which is the question that we've asked missionaries now for 15 years. What, what does it mean to you to be a missionary? Why are you devoting your entire life going without forget luxuries? definitely that. but what we would consider necessities to go into places like rural Burundi, to go into Malawi, Kent, all, all places all places we serve, often places without, Obviously, consistent health care, which is why they're there uh, without there may not be a school nearby. There may not be. There may not be consistent power, There may not be a water yet, they go there to serve. And we say, what does it mean to be a missionary? And what they consistently say is what it means to be a missionary is that we ask ourselves, what is our mission on Earth? As this is them talking as Christians, we ask ourselves, what would Jesus want us to do? What would Jesus do if he were me? And this of course is not me talking, it's them talking. And uh, and they say, well, the answer is very clear. It's like, Jesus or God wants me in Malawi, wants me in Kenya, wants me in Tanzania, wants me in Cameroon, Uganda, uh, the Nuba Mountains. And uh, and they all, I might say all, but seemingly all, at least all the ones I've spoke to, have a story about how they got there, which involves what secular people would call a coincidence. Now, I don't believe in coincidence. It's just a secular expression for something we can't understand. It's God directs the world. They certainly believe that. I believe that. I'm as a Jew. Them as Christians, but and so there's always some set of circumstances which some people would call coincidence. But an email comes in from a long lost contact that suggests they they check something out either online or call someone, and then all of a sudden there it becomes clear to them that this is not a coincidence. This is a deeply meaningful experience, a message from God that He would. He's asking them to go serve in Tanzania, Kenya, Malawi, wherever. Um, so, But what it means to be a missionary, in the words of the missionaries, is to fulfill one's mission. And in their case, their mission is to deliver health care to those who would otherwise be without. Now, I did, um, in in Tanzania, I was in Tanzania um, a couple of times, but the first time I was in Tanzania, um, I asked uh, a, a missionary, um, a truly great man, Dr. Mark Jacobson, he had been there at that point for... 31 years or so, and uh, totally devoted his life to building Arusha Lutheran, which is a spectacular hospital now, and uh, um, and uh, it's all it's it's and and he's devoted his life to serving the poor, building the institution, training people, everything African Mission up here does. We've been fortunate to partner with him, and so I was with him for a couple of days, and at the end of the second day, I said to him, um, "I've learned a lot from you, I've seen a lot with you, but one thing." One question I have that has not been answered at all is, what is missionary like about what you're doing? Because you're a Christian missionary doctor, but I haven't seen anything that I, as a someone who's a step removed from the missionaries, uh, would consider missionary, let alone people who don't know any missionaries. Like there's, there's, He said, oh, he said, what do you mean? I said, well, you, I, you didn't talk to anybody about trying to convert them. And nor did you talk about having talked to anybody about trying to convert them. It hasn't come up in two days. He said, oh, you can only have that conversation um, when someone says one thing to you. I said, well, what's that? He said, when someone says, why do you care so much? I said, what do you mean? He said, that line of discussion is only open when someone says, you know, you could be anywhere. You could be a wealthy man. You could be living in a prosperous suburb, you could be doing anything, and yet you're here, serving in these conditions, working these hours, taking call at all hours, uh, working in a hospital without anything that, without many things that almost all Western doctors would consider necessities. Why are you here? Why do you care so much? He said, when someone says, why do you care so much, you can open up the conversation. I said, well, how often does that happen? He said, not very often. He said, "Because and then, I but why does it happen very often?" I saw this when I was in in Kenya because I was visiting another. I was in another mission hospital we support, and um, and the people I was with said they wanted wanted to introduce me to the surgeon. So um, they took me to see the surgeon. There were ten hours of patients waiting to see him. They're not having in depth theological conversations. Literally. 10 hours worth of patients waiting to see them because as we talked about before, there's so few surgeons. So when they get access to one surgeon, the line goes for days, maybe day, maybe it's one day, but it was 10 hours. So that's, it's just, it's, they're so busy seeing patients and these patients have been suffering many of them for so long with conditions that would be fixed tomorrow here in New York or where you are in salt Lake. And, uh, and, uh, but it's so what it means to be a missionary is, is really about, uh, fulfilling God's mission for them, which led me to believe that any of us can be missionaries, not like them, but um, because not like them, that's, and I'll talk about that for a minute. I mean, I remember I was in, I was in Kenya once, really observing what these Christian missionary doctors do. And I said, you know, these are the best people in the world. Like these people are to morality, what Michael Jordan is to basketball. Like, like, so I said, look, I, it's just, they're inconceivably good literally inconceivably good. So I remember saying to myself, like, I can never be as good as them, but I can support them. And then what they would say is, um, and they said this to to me and to Erica, my wife, they said, you know, without you and donors like you, and not even at the level we donate, but really at almost any level, at any level, they said without donors, we'd be working with band-aids. And, uh, so I realized that, um, I'll never be as good as these Christian missionary doctors, but I and anybody else who wants to join us could be their really indispensable source of support and partnership, not really just support, but partnership. And without donors, they'd be working with
0: Band-Aid, which means they wouldn't be working, which means all these people wouldn't have care. Yeah. This is really an amazing and inspiring story, and I appreciate you sharing it with us. I know that there are some in our audience who are nonprofit leaders who, mm-hmm. uh, quite frankly, are a, a little bit salivating at the thought of finding a Mark Gerson. Uh, what advice would you give them for finding uh, someone that would back their efforts the way you have backed Africa mission in healthcare? Well, I, I, I in, in our case, in the case of
1: Erica and me, um, It's really, we've been, um, it's the, and I'm sure we'll talk about this in in the second part of the segment too, but it's really about the return investment that we get. That's how we think about it. And that's not how everyone thinks about it, but it's how we think about it. What's the return investment? When we make a financial investment, we do what everybody else does and ask what's the return investment. So the methodology to make a philanthropic investment should be the exact same. So when we, so why are we drawn to African Mission Healthcare? Well, there are a lot of reasons, but the primary one is that let's take a C-section in Uganda, which is kind of the classic thing we do, $232 for c C-section in Uganda. Um, if a woman, so, and and, and uh, a woman throughout many places in Africa has about 20% chance of getting a C-section if she needs it, which means she has about an 80% chance of not getting it if she needs it. If one, and my wife had four C-sections in New York, there's about 100% chance of getting one if you need it. But if uh, it wasn't even an, it wasn't even a thought with us, like will she be able to get the C section? Wasn't even. A, yeah. But in Africa, twenty percent chance in many parts of Africa, probably not all of Africa, many parts, twenty percent chance. It means eighty percent chance of not getting it. What happens if you need it and you don't get it? High chance of death. And like there's a reason in the Hebrew Bible why it says uh, um, in the Cain and Abel sequence, the bloods of your brother cry out to me. Why I say bloods? Bloods is plural. Shouldn't it be the blood of your brother? No, because when you when when you when Cain killed Abel, or when you save someone, more than one life is either killed or saved. You, no one ever saved one person, no one ever killed one person. You're, it's, it's, it's always a multiplier effect reflected in the biblical language. So, so I mean, so take a woman who's, I don't know, 26, 27 years old, she needs a C-section. If she can't get it, and she, God forbid, dies, she dies, her baby may, may not die, but what's the quality of life going to be like for her surviving children at home? At $232 will get her that C-section. And if she survives, she will get either a fistula or a birth injury tear, which are completely devastating, which will degrade the quality of life beyond what any of us can imagine, and it will only be fixed upon surgery. But there are no surgeons around, so for two hundred thirty-two dollars, what's the ROI? Two hundred thirty-two dollars, a little more expensive in some places, like four or five hundred, like not meaningfully more, uh, given the scope of the what can be done with them. I mean, it's a uh, I mean, so what's the return investment? For under five hundred dollars, sometimes well under five hundred dollars, we can assure a woman the safe delivery of her baby. The ROI is is spectacular. We can, one can actually run the numbers on the, the, and we have, and we everything we do, we run the numbers on the uh, life expectancy, quality of life, number of years. We have all those numbers, but the, and the ROI is just spectacular. So. When we give, we think about what's the ROI. And the African Mission Healthcare is offers the greatest ROI in the world. Anything, whether it's financial, commercial, or philanthropic, best ROI in the world. So we think, what's the ROI? And um, we were able to see it up front. But, um, but actually, we saw it up front later. I, I think I made my first uh, trip to Africa in 2016. And we started the foundation in 2010 because John had been living there. I mean, John had been living there since the early 2000s. And John built a team and. Kenya. So we had a robust team and I knew about it because John and I talked and emailed every day to this day. So I, I knew about it secondarily through him. But I, I suppose that's another aspect that will be of interest to the nonprofit leader is he and I had such a deep, close and trusting relationship that, that then when I started to go over there, I saw it with my own eyes, but knew the problem beforehand. And uh, and the ROI was just um, overwhelming. So it's, you know, any, anytime we can make an investment in African mission healthcare. We do just like if there was a financial investment, whereas like, if you knew, if you invested a thousand dollars, like you were sure to get a million dollars out, like next month, like how many thousand dollars would you put into that machine? Yeah. As many as you possibly could. So that's the way we look at African mission healthcare.
0: I think that's a brilliant model. And I hope more philanthropists will, will think about that as well as the nonprofit leaders who are trying to access that capital. So thank you for sharing that. Mark, I what is your superpower
1: oh well i don't know if i i don't know if i have i don't know if i have one but i would say um i would say it's 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 what we just talked about it's it's a it's a focus on return investment when applied to giving that i execute on so and it's and, and i mean execute on it so it's uh um And, uh, so I don't know if that's, that's a superpower, but it's, it's one of the things that we're, we, we, we try to, we try to missionize. We try to evangelize is, is, is exactly that is, is that take the same methodology and discipline that every business person applies to any financial or business decision and just apply it to, to philanthropy. And I think we do that very well. I mean, I think we do it great. I mean, it's, and it's, uh, both with African Mission Healthcare and with the other charity that I co-founded and chair, United Hazal of Israel. I mean, both deliver spectacular ROI, have been able to inspire other people to come and join us on these sacred missions where so many lives are being saved, radically improved and completely transformed um, because of financial gifts. And so uh, I would say that's 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 one of the things that we're really most, most proud of and most wanted to share is that um, if anyone can give and really at any level I mean $232 for a C-section and just have to have a little imagination to imagine a woman um, who could be the age of someone listening or the age of someone's listening to daughter uh, imagine imagine if you or your daughter depending on what age anyone is needs a C-section and can't get it now it's, and, and, then, and then consider the Waldorf Astoria the hotel here in New York used to be called the New York Fistula Hospital oh And then why did it stop becoming the New York fistula hospital? Because there are no more fistulas in the West. Why? Because people who needed C-sections got them. Yeah. So, but imagine, God forbid, just look up fistula online, look up birth injury terror. Imagine what would happen to a 26-year-old mother if, God forbid, she died. And what, what happens to, obviously, her, but her other children? $232. So one does not need to make a huge financial investment to make an enormous difference. When one thinks about giving through the lens of return on investment. These opportunities, I mean, just like any good investment, they may be hard to find, but okay, anything worth doing is challenging, right? They're not that hard to find, by the way, like this is one. I mean, anyone listening just found one. And, uh, uh, and, uh, but it's, it's a, it's just, um, it's I was gonna say it's a great feeling. Yeah, it's that, but it's just a great set of facts. It's really a great reality more than it's a great feeling. It's a great reality to know that, for $232 in one place, for $400 and whatever dollars in another place, you can completely transform someone's life and the life of everybody they affect. And that's just ROI-based philanthropy.
0: Yeah. How
1: did you develop that superpower? Um, I think I, I developed it really... So that these two charities that I co-founded and share, United Hazal of Israel... And what we do at United Hats of Israel is this was um, really the brainchild of Ellie Beer, entirely Eli, um, who is just one of the greatest men in the world. He, um, when he was a young man, he was volunteering on an ambulance in Israel, in Jerusalem, and realized that, um, he said, I never saved anyone's life, two years. He said, but I got to a lot of dead bodies, but I never saved anyone's life. He said, and then I realized why. He said, when I went, um, I got a call to go to the home of a child who had was choking on a hot dog. And we got there and the child was dead from having choked on a hot dog. And then this guy comes by and says, what happened? So Ellie says, young, "It was then a young medic, I told him and he says, do you know I'm a doctor and I live next door? Um, and then this said to Ellie, all right, he, this, is, this, this situation is intolerable that there could be people who are trained, could be equipped And they could be notified about emergencies in their immediate vicinity. And all you have to do is get them there. And then the ambulance, it wasn't like Israel had a a fine ambulance system. It takes ambulances anywhere in the world, 10 minutes to to get to the victim. New York City, Salt Lake, Jerusalem, that's the best. Because ambulances are too big to be fast and they're too expensive to be ubiquitous. But Ellie's insight was you don't need an ambulance there immediately. You need a trained and equipped person there immediately. So we built this system. And we now have over 6,000 volunteers in Israel from every sector of Israeli society, Jews, Muslims, Christians, Arabs, everybody, uh, all devoted to getting to victims in the moments to separate life from death. So when I saw that, and so there we're, we're saving lives for under $500 a life. I mean, when you, wow. when you look at the number of lives, we're saving about 200 people a day. The budget's a little over 30 million. I mean, it's, a, uh, it's, a, uh, it's so when you see that you can save someone's life either in, in either of these two cases we've discussed for that amount of money, you're like, this is just the best investment one could make. So the fact that we just started making these investments and they were just the best investments we will ever make led us to kind of step back and say, OK, what did we actually do and what are we doing? We said we're doing ROI based philanthropy. Like we, we just we realize now that there are opportunities out there. And just like in business, the opportunities, uh, they're rare but they're there. And, uh, and if you find them and you deploy capital at any size, you can create enormous difference. So in our case, it was about seeing it and then realizing what we were doing and that now trying to, well, obviously keep doing what we're doing as much as we possibly can, as well as spreading it, that this is the way philanthropists should, should think. And I, and I think that when nonprofit leaders can really demonstrate the ROI and in both cases of United Hatsala and African Mission Healthcare, we get very detailed, like we can get very, we can get as ROI detailed as any investment banking analyst talking about a company. Just because that's where it's the same thing, we, we, we'd like you to make an investment in saving lives here and here's why this is such an effective and efficient system to do so. So, uh, And does good feeling come out of it? Of course, but good feeling derives from the facts. Yeah. And, and, and uh, now, of course, some people respond more to facts, some people respond more to stories, but the stories are facts. So it's but it's it's, it's all it all comes back to the facts. It all comes back to the data. It all comes back to the demonstrable uh, changes being made in people's lives and systematically as a result of the people's lives being transformed. And it can all be totally calculated. I mean, we, we know how much it costs to significantly improve a year of someone's life, how many years can be significantly improved, how many years can be saved. This is all You know, when we talk in the context of African Mission Healthcare, we often say, you know, we're in the business of buying DALI's disability adjusted life years. You know, how many disability adjusted life years can we buy? And the answer is a lot. And when you see how many disability adjusted life years you can buy for a donation through African Mission Healthcare or through United
0: Hazala, it's like just I want to do as much as I possibly can. Oh, that's amazing. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for sharing the insights. Thank you for sharing the counsel, the the, the, the advice. I, I really just can't thank you enough. Uh, you know, I feel enriched. I'm sure everyone who listens oh, to thank you. your insights will feel enriched and grateful from what they've learned from you. So thank you. Um, before you go, may I ask you just to take a minute and tell people how they can be in touch with learn more about mission healthcare and you and uh everything else you're involved with
1: oh well thank you so african mission healthcare is just africanmissionhealthcare.org and um over the next uh several months all gifts that are made uh will be matched a hundred percent by a combination of erica and me and ubs the bank so um we because we just committed um uh, and gave a significant portion of 18 million UBS is in for another two. Some portion of that is a matching grant. So any gifts made and a lot of the people matches have been coming in. So anyone who wants to give now it'll be matched hundred percent actually 105% if you're a UBS client. So uh it's a it's now is a great time to give because there's a hundred percent match on and a little more if one's a UBS client. And United Hutsala is IsraelRescue.org and uh and um you know it's uh yeah. And it's been our, our, our goal with United All for a long time to make this Israel's gift to the world, to bring it to the world. So if anyone listening is a mayor of a city, we can talk about that, too. Uh, but um, Fantastic. yeah, absolutely. Those are the two websites. And um, I'm delighted to talk with anybody about uh, how their generosity might be um, directed uh, towards, for instance, a particular cause in Africa, whether it's cardiac care, whether it's maternal child, whether it's surgical training that may really inspire them.
0: Fantastic. Well, again, thank you very much for the great work that you're doing for the time you've taken with us today. We wish you every success in your continued efforts to save lives in Israel and Africa. Thank you so much, I really appreciate it. All righty. Let's do good. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show twice each week, we host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers, number four, good.com. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book, Superpowers for Good, as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? Visit DevonThorpe.com. Then, let's talk. Now, keep using your superpowers for good. Together, we can reverse climate change, improve global health, and eradicate poverty.